Oh, come on, phone. What's wrong? Sprint turn. This smartphone is not smart. Then switch to Sprint and get a brilliant iPhone XR for just $15 a month. $15 a month? Now that sounds smart. Switch to Sprint and get the brilliant iPhone XR for just $15 a month. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800 Sprint One. Phone $15 per month after $16.25 per month. Credit applied within two bills. Requires 24 month installment. Calling if you cancel early. Remaining balance two. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Exclusive tax. $30 activation fee. Restrictions apply. Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa, so I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Good day to everybody, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Jodder, and joining me as always, Jake Wachoba and Armand Kafai. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, we go agenda-free for the first segment, give you our hottest takes. Former pro and now MLS analyst Bobby Warshaw calls in to chat MLS in review. Plus, we take a look ahead to the 2019 calendar year with the U.S. Men's National Team. And lastly, it's the counterattack with Jake Watroba. Follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. You can find the show on any major podcast platform. Give us the five-star review because you know you love to. And let's get to today's show. And uh, listeners, we're going to actually start with an announcement. It is our final episode of the year. We're going we're gonna to enjoy our holidays Jake, Armand, and myself. So we'll take a couple of weeks off. We'll be back in the new year with some fresh content, awesome interviews, and the best takes. Fellas, it is agenda-free for the first segment. Jake, let's begin with your big big take. My big take? Okay, I got a great take here for you, Steven. Uh-oh, uh-oh. You, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good this Sunday afternoon. For the Arsenal fans out there, Tottenham will finish above them in, in, in the standings. I'm just kidding. I just wanted to get a reaction to Steven. I didn't that's get anything that's your big take. This is no. this is your build. Arsenal is going to finish below Tottenham. You have wasted a minute of the show talking about how Tottenham will finish above Arsenal. Shame on you, Jake. Uh, the U.S. men's national team will win the Gold Cup in 2019. There, there's my hot take. Wow, my prediction. Take. My aching heart. That take is so hot. Wow. <laughs> And y'all make fun of my takes? They just won the Gold Cup. Yeah, but they're terrible according to you two. I mean, we're, it's we're, a CONCACAF. Worst team in CONCACAF. They're the worst team in CONCACAF according to you two. Oh, hey, he's putting words there. Now you're, oh, oh, 
Okay, okay. Let's uh, go back three episodes when you talk about how embarrassing the the team is. Well, they are embarrassing, but, right, that, but doesn't mean that they're they're worse than I don't know Guatemala or something like that. <laughs> hey, all I know is you guys said this team is dog bleep. Uh, they're not going to amount to anything. We probably shouldn't even bother trying to qualify for 2022. <laughs> Greg Berhalter's a terrible manager. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're putting hot takes in our Carlos mouth. Cordero is the worst president uh, <laughs> in the United States. And that goes for uh, also uh, in Washington, D.C. So I don't know, you guys. I this might be. I thought this would be a hot take for you two. How is that a hot uh, take? I don't know. They're one Figure of the out. favorites. Figure it out. Jake, that, I'm not saying, shame, I'm just saying. Shame on you. That was terrible. I mean, you 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 build the lead with Tottenham finishing above Arsenal. That fell flat, and then you decide to take a another shot at it, and you fall even flatter with it. Well, the the Tottenham Arsenal take was literally something I thought of about thirty seconds before before we turned the mic on. I had been sitting on the Gold Cup one for about an uh, hour and a half, uh, squatting so. on take my favorite my favorite uh, hobby. Okay, okay you but guys, Jake. you guys, all right, you guys, I guess the, uh, the hot take police. <laughs> yes, hot take police. Jake, you're arrested. Now, Armand, do you have a better take than Jake? Well, I mean, with Jake's hot takes, I'm kind of, you know, like struggling to find one that would, you know, be as hot as Jake's. We but know I, you are. I, I am, because every take I have is lukewarm, cold, or like insert, like, you know, something Antarctic. that's really chilly. Absolute yeah, pulled, zero. Pulled straight out of the freezer. Just pulled straight out of the freezer. So, hot take, hot take right here. <laughs> this delivery is great, Armand. Just, just, just wait on it. Liga MX is messing up really badly with this English coverage in America. I don't know if that's really a hot take or if that's pretty much common sense, um, but I came in with the facts. Uh, I have the the receipts right here. They averaged, I think, a combined 3.5 million for their semifinal matchups, um, uh, it, for the for the playoffs, and they're playing they're playing their final or they're really playing their final uh, on Sunday, which is today we're recording, and it might be one of the highest viewed soccer matches in America. Okay, that's a hot take. So, so. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll throw in there. And I'm including Premier League games in there, too. So, hot take. Why isn't MLS doing anything to get these guys to watch their games, too? Are, are you talking about the Hispanic population? Uh, yep. It's a great question. It's uh, something that uh, Jake and I have been uh, going back and forth on this past week. Is over what demographic should MLS target heavily and the hispanic demographic is hugely invested in liga mekis hugely invested in football hugely invested in, in you know the mexican national team when they play on u.s soil yeah what wh- why armand i mean you're around the clubhouse you're around the front offices why do you think there's such a disconnect i guess i want to say that the not the mls but mls wants to i guess model itself model itself more after an NFL uh, franchise than I guess any other so- like any other soccer team in the world. I mean that's the feeling I get, you know, with 
you know, with the new playoff structure as well. I mean, even though I like it, it just feels very, you know, like like football. Going up on these uh, on on the population because they're so invested in league at Mekis. We're not going to try and have them watch our game. Why not, you know, just target something else? I don't know. The the, the philosophy behind it is really weird, especially you know in a place again. I keep referencing at Dallas, where you have a very high, you know, soccer loving Latino com- uh Group. I mean, I think Dallas is one of the top markets that watched the Liga MX final, and I think Chelsea, Man City. Something is. Yeah, something's very, very off there, from like MLS's a, standpoint. There's like a Latino, like war, almost a war, or like if you remember Chicago's uh, predominantly Latino supporters group got kicked out, and no one really knows why. It's I don't, I don't get it. It's a weird disconnect when. People are watching Liga MX games left and right, and they're the highest viewed games, even more than the Champions League and the Premier League. What what's going on here? Like, why why aren't you know why isn't MLS like, oh look? I guess that's why they're partnering with Liga MX, but I think something is wrong there. That's my deep hot take. So uh, we go from USA's winning the Gold Cup to MLS sucks at targeting Hispanic demographics. I mean, quite frankly, those those takes are not that that viable or that strong and Armand you threw a knuckleball because you actually were talking about FC Cincinnati before we started recording what, what what's going on here uh Jake says they're gonna do better than FC Dallas and you know he might be right because FC Dallas uh is looking to blow it up looking to hire Lucci Gonzalez uh real soon FC um, well, Cincinnati will be in a will be in the uh playoff conversation in the well Eastern yeah because they, they made year. it bigger because they made the playoffs bigger they'll be like a nine seed and you know, oh, no, no, I'm not saying like they're gonna be a nine, or nine seed or ten seed or whatever. They're gonna, they're gonna be around six, seven, and eight. So nine. I said around six, seven, or eight. I didn't say nine. I said six, no, seven, or eight. Their team, their team structure is reminding me a lot of Orlando City's this year. A bunch of you know, okay, like pretty like good MLS players, but I'm not gonna get any like true deep. Yeah, but you don't know if FC Cincinnati has a bunch of executives with their head up their asses like Orlando City does. Well, and a bunch, like, and a head, couple head coaches that don't know what, the, what they're doing. Well, I mean, there, isn't their model kind of like maybe almost like Minnesota as well? If I don't know, man, because every the last few uh, teams that have signed USL players that, that uh, went up from USL to MLS, the USL players ended up being some of the more productive players in those teams. Well, so, not necessarily the, the USL, but I'm talking more the expansion draft and. Other other pieces as well. The USL, str- a strong team, I don't think is a bad thing. But again, does it not ring, you know, uh, I guess, what's it called? Like reminders, you know, Soft Minnesota launch. came in with uh, Adrian Heath. A- Adrian Heath as a head coach, a kind of not really proven MLS guy who was proven in USL coming in here and he struggled. I mean, you have Alan Koch. Did, okay, did well, Portland not just get to the MLS Cup? Yeah. What about Gio Savarisi? What are we what what are we talking about here? I, I think I think Savarisi and Mark Dos Santos are on a different level than Alan Koch. But they were you they were they were they were in NASL or USL or whatever SL. <laughs> <laughs> wait wait wait, Armand. Just to be clear, you think FC Cincinnati is going to be trash next next year? I think this they'll be bad, year? like bad. They're not going to be. They're going to be nap football. You know they're gonna have a great atmosphere at, at Nippert Stadium, even though uh, they they have Audi and you know the player we were talking about last weekend. But what if they sign Fabio Johnson? 
What if they sign Fabian Johnson? They might change something, but it looks like really what Fabian Johnson. Is, hey, look, that's going to change. Anything. That's going to change FC Cincinnati a little bit. It's going to it's going to change a little bit. I'm going to say okay because it shows. Hey, we'll spend a little bit of money to go after a key player, but like. Yeah, but he plays on the flank. After, if if your big if money if is spent, they're going after. This is terrible. If they're gonna spend money on somebody who plays on the flank or as a right back, what good is that going to do? You sign Fabian Johnson, well, so you Greg sell Garza. seats. They did Greg Garza. Yeah, like, I don't they, know. they bought him as left back. They, they spent some exuberant amount of money on Kendall Watson and Greg Garza, like. All right, cool. Now you have the two tallest center backs in MLS and the two slowest ones too. <laughs> like, Garza's not Garza's a left back. I'm talking about Forrest Lasso and Kendall Watson. Like, come on. Like, but overall, I don't think this team is going to be that good. <laughs> to be honest with you, I just, I mean, you guys might be more optimistic, but I mean, after watching that expansion draft, after them seeing them take Roland Lamar out of all people, after you know seeing them take Darren Maddox and all these other guys, like, just it just reeks of meh. It reeks of soft launch FC, like you said, Stephen. Yeah, soft launch FC and an expansion draft that's absolutely meaningless. And uh, they picked get up a bunch of, of posts. Say again? Get rid of the expansion draft. Yeah, get rid of it. Okay, uh, moving on to my hot take. Christian Pulisic is overrated and is not worth the money that Chelsea, Liverpool, or even Atletico Madrid want to pay him for. That's not. That's a hipster hot take right there. All right. I'm trying to be like a hipster. Something. Oh, look at me! I hate America's best player. <laughs> let me let me ask look you. Let, let's put this in perspective. One report I saw was about sixty million pounds. Sixty million. Okay. Let me ask you guys. Looking at other past transfers, James Rodriguez went from Monaco to Real Madrid for sixty-three million pounds. Is Christian Pulisic James Rodriguez in, in value? Yes or no? Forget that price, bro. Inflation. Oh, transfer yeah, yeah. Inflated, you can't, dude. You can't, you can't be pulling out transfer fees from five years ago? Four, four years, years ago. ago. This is not 1998. This is yeah, but you four had, years ago. Neymar. Neymar's transfer has completely thrown things off. The influx of money in the Premier League has completely thrown things off. There, there, you can pay an exuberant fee for Pulisic. Because you're not just getting Pulisic the player as well. You're getting everything along that comes with it. You're getting more American eyeballs. You have more opportunity to sell mm-hmm. merchandise. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a playing thing. This is just – there's more to it than okay, fine. Christian Pulisic fine. on the field. Armand, fine. If you don't want to c- compare pricing, fine. I'm just saying Chelsea and Liverpool have to make certain that if they're going to shell out that type of money, Christian Pulisic is the guy. Do you know what his, his stats are for this past season? Armand? Jordan, Jordan Sancho has been uh, play, out playing games. To... Well, yeah, he's His, been... He's, been, he's starting. Yeah. Well, Christian Pulisic has been in the squad 11 times. He's missed four games due to injuries. He started only four games in the Bundesliga. He's subbed on six times. He was left on the bench once. He scored one goal, has one assist. In the Champions League, interestingly, he started four times. He was in the squad five times. So four of the five times he started, he was subbed on once, and he was injured for the other game. So it's not like, you know, Lucien Favre doesn't doesn't trust the guy. He plays in the Champions League more so than he does in the Bundesliga. But if I'm Chelsea and if I'm Liverpool, I'd be a little bit concerned that he's not getting more playing time in a squad like Dortmund, which is highly talented. 
Would you not say squads at Liverpool and Chelsea are more talented than at Dortmund? I mean, Dortmund's in first place in the Bundesliga. I mean, I guess Liverpool is in the first place in the Premier League, but I think it's debatable. I think you can make an argument that Dortmund's more talented than both of those two. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I did not expect that at all. <laughs> I was expecting somebody to agree with me. Steven tried to hit with a leading question and it didn't work. I mean, coming from the guy who sat here like every week and reminded me that Bayern Munich is in sixth place or fourth place or whatever place they're in in the Bundesliga table and <clears throat> says that, oh, this is going to be the year they're not going to, you know, they're not going to win the, the Bundesliga. Bayern, Bundesliga is, is not going to Bayern this year. That's... So now, now he's basically saying that the team that is better than Bayern Munich isn't isn't nearly on the same level as Chelsea, who's in fourth place in the Premier League. No, that that's such crap because the Premier League. <laughs> no, it's not crap. You, <laughs> you just said that. No, the the squad talent at Chelsea is significantly better than Dortmund, and the and the competition that Chelsea is playing is harder than Dortmund is playing in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Brighton Hove Albion. That's uh, that was really a tough game for Chelsea this morning. <laughs> I, I I guarantee you, I, I could already see, I could already see the Twitter machine. How can you say that Dortmund yeah, is less than same, Chelsea? These are gonna be the same idiots that told me that uh, the Asian Confederation was light years ahead of Concacaf. So. <laughs> I mean, look, Dortmund have a really talented squad. I think it's apples and oranges to compare uh, Liverpool and Chelsea to Dortmund because they play in, they play in we such separate leagues. It. Like, if you, no, you can't. No, 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 no. You, let me finish it. Let me finish it. You cannot compare their track record in their respective leagues. Well, you can't compare them when they play in the Champions League, but you can also just look up a, a straight roster. I think Liverpool significantly a lot higher than Dortmund is. I think Chelsea is closer to Dortmund, but I still give the the advantage to uh, Chelsea as far as squad talent. So what happens when Dortmund draws Liverpool and they're on a 16 in the Champions League and Dortmund wins? Then what? I'm wrong. Okay. See? See, I could well, I could have a hot take and I could I'll apologize. I'll write you an apology letter. Well, okay. We'll, okay. We'll, 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 be, we'll be waiting. Yeah. Right here. All right. You 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 could definitely be waiting. All I'm saying is Chelsea have a, a talented squad that is on par or even better than Dortmund. Liverpool is significantly better than Dortmund. And if I'm Chelsea or Liverpool and I'm going to splurge out $60 million plus for Christian Pulisic, America's GOAT, I want to be certain that he is going to be a squad player that delivers – Day in and day out. And at the moment, I don't know if Christian Pulisic is that type of player. You're just salty because Christian Pulisic has a, has a higher price tag than uh, Jardin Shakiri. <laughs> okay. On that note, Bobby Warshaw is up next. Joining us on the show is a friend of the show now. It's Bobby Warshaw. You can find his work on MLS Soccer 
com. You can follow him at, at Twitter at bwarshaw14. Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm honored to be a friend of the show. Thank you for that. No, we, yeah, we, love, yeah, we love our friends. He's a friend of the pod. Yeah, exactly. We love our friends. <laughs> we, we back him up no matter what, even if their takes nice. are bad. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Well, I guess that's I guess that's good news then. Hey, Ar- Armand, since you're playing hot take police, how about you ask the first question? Oh, okay. I was oh, putting the pressure on me now. Bobby, uh, do you think MLS is? It's a really vague question, but do you think MLS is happy with how 2018 panned out? You know, from the beginning to the end, especially with uh, Atlanta, I guess, raising the crown. Oh, starting real big on this. So here's my here's my first answer to that is I think there's a general thought that from outside of MLS that us who work and write and do some of the content stuff, you know, have interactions with Don and, and Mark and Todd and these guys that make the decisions. So we are somehow their sounding board and we have none of that. You know, like I talked to Mark, you know, if we have a, a question that we want clarification, we can we, we have to go through uh, intermediaries for that stuff. So the, the, the official, the real answer is that I have no idea. Right. Like, I don't I don't actually know what Don and Mark and Todd talk about on a regular basis, but going off the same information that you guys have, you have to think absolutely. Yes. You know, it's like it's no secret that it's probably great to have that MLS Cup in Atlanta, to have Atlanta be successful, to have Portland make it far and Seattle make it far and and a New York team make it far. Um, So, listen, I really have no idea on all the inside information, but going off the same thing you guys do and plus Laton and Rooney. So, yeah, I would think it was a very good season um, for the the suits in the league office. I think it was a wonderful season. I think Atlanta winning it was kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday that, you know, you had this team expected to win. And I think it's the first time where in a long time where you have back-to-back seasons where the best team of the regular season. I know Atlanta didn't win the Supporters' Shield, but, I mean, they were so superb throughout majority of the season. They mm-hmm. won, go on to win MLS Cup. And with the new playoff playoff format change speculated out there on the Twitter sphere, home field advantage is going to be increasingly more important. The regular season is going to be increasingly more important, and I think the games are going to be a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it probably could have been a better season if the playoff races had been better. You know, the fact that the playoff race was a little bit of a dud, there wasn't a ton of drama going down to the end, uh, and it probably would have been better if the Galaxy had made it and Zlatan had made it. You know, that's a, a joke that everyone makes, but I would say that joke is largely true, that Moore's Laton is bet makes more money for everyone. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am interested to see how the playoff format changes things. I need more to be online in July. So uh, it would be nice if the playoff format could do that. Bobby, I remember the last time you were on the show, uh, we discussed uh, how I wasn't really sure that Atlanta would be a favorite going into the playoffs because of their inability to play against bunker ball. Well, I'm 100% wrong, and you see my friends over here will protect me from my bad takes. But um, <laughs> uh, what do you think changed uh, for Atlanta that, you know, they were able to beat teams that, you know, bunkered down? All right, well, here's, here's my question. When the Red Bulls lost leg one against Atlanta, what was your criticism and, and everyone else's criticism about what they did uh that instead of uh they bunker down instead of pressing and uh doing what they usually do i guess so i wouldn't say they bunkered this is like this is like doyle's favorite word right now and it's gotten a lexicon the (laughs) Bulls did not bunker they drew their line of confrontation at the other side of 
they, they, they had a middle to low block, right? If you do a middle, middle block mm-hmm. and you do it properly, you're naturally going to have your lines drop deeper. I mean, bunkering is what Inter Milan did against Barcelona. Like, teams do bunker. It, it doesn't happen as often as people say. But what I want to point out there is that the Red Bulls went against their, you know, supposedly went against their style. You know, they're a high-pressing team that said, we're actually going to sit in the middle block. Well, what did Atlanta do throughout the playoffs, right? Atlanta, who had gotten so much credit for being a passing team and trying to build out of the back and keep on the ball on the ground, well, they said, screw it. If you're going to press us, and everyone talks about how the Red Bulls should have pressed them, but when the Red Bulls got any kind of pressure on the ball, Atlanta kicked it 70 yards at Connor Lade or behind Aaron Long. So what changed a little bit was the fact that Atlanta went away from what they had been doing. You know, they, they were no longer this pretty flowing team. They were a team that took no risk, kept four behind the ball, and, and you know, just changed their style. You know, I don't think any of us expected them to change their style and do what they did. So making our predictions of can they score against a team that sits deep, you know, if you, if you kick it – I don't have a great answer to this, but um, the answer is that they changed who they were. And I don't think any of us saw that coming. Wait, Bobby, I, I, I got to ask you for clarification. So you don't think the Red Bulls had yeah. the wrong mindset going into Atlanta because to me their mindset was we're going to try playing for a 0-0 draw and taking it back to New York. And I think that was the mistake is that the way their mindset played and it, you know, it, it felt like Atlanta was in control of that entire game. And I know Red Bulls had their chances. They had the goal get, you know, pull, get called back and, and all that. But you're, to me, you're saying what everyone else is not saying is that actually the Red Bulls played their cards. Atlanta just came on, came out on top. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with what Chris Armas did. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that if they had pressed and lost that game, he would have been called naive and stupid for not changing the tactics. And if you think about maybe he's going for zero zero, but I actually do think if you do the game tree, if you look at the logic of how that game was going to play out, they had a better chance of scoring by also being in that middle to low block. Because basically if they had pressed, what did they do in the second game? They pressed, right? And could they, if they had pressed, Atlanta was going to kick it over their head. When Atlanta kicked it over their head, they were always going to keep six, seven, eight players behind the ball. So every time Red Bulls were going to bring it forward, even if they did press, even if they did win the ball in their own end a little better, they were still going to have to break down Atlanta's full shape, which Red Bulls just can't do. So, yeah, it, it, they thought it would help them defensively to not be in the 1v1 duels after Atlanta played long over the press, but they also thought – that they would have a better chance of scoring if they could win the ball deep after Atlanta got stretched trying to go forward and countered. I mean, the problem is that they aren't a great actual full field countering team and Atlanta still kept numbers behind the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the full logic of it is that Red Bulls thought they had a better chance of scoring. And partially because what we saw in leg two, right? They were not going to break down Atlanta in leg two and they would have the same problem in leg one. Bobby, I want to ask you about uh, Alexi Lawless's take on Atlanta United being MLS's new super club. Uh, do you do you agree mm-hmm. with that? Seeing as you know they they bring in guys like Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez. They draw in Tata Martino to to be the manager. Now they're going to bring in Pity Martinez. Are they the new super club in MLS? So I I, I saw I would actually disagree. I, when I first heard it, I was like, yeah, of course they're the super club. Look at the fans. Look at how much money they're spending. But I do think that there's a prerogative of the Super Club to go for the names and to go for the personalities. And that, to me, is still the Galaxy. And we give the Galaxy a ton of crap 
for not playing their academy players and for being worse and for missing on Gio Dos Santos. But one of the problems is if you are the super club, and remember, Real Madrid went through this with the Galacticos. The Galacticos team was not great, even when they had Zidane and Ronaldo and Figo and, and all these players and Beckham, because um, it's hard to put all those stars together. So I think Atlanta is, is one of the bigger clubs, but they're signing younger players, lesser known. Um, PT Martinez is a little more known than the players they'd signed. But no, I still think it's a galaxy. I still think it's this team that has the imperative who, you know, who's the biggest name that's free? Who's the biggest name that we can go get? That's still the galaxy. And I still think that they're the super club. I know with Tata Martino leaving now as an opening for Atlanta, uh, do, you, do you have anyone that you would like to see as a uh, head coach of Atlanta uh, for the 2019 season? So uh, my, my only thought on this is I don't have a specific name because my big thing about picking a name for a head coach is did anyone think that Jason Christ was, a, was the wrong choice for Orlando? You know, it's just so hard to know how a coach fits with an ownership, with a technical director, with players. So I, I definitely am not about to say a name that I think is right. What I will say is that I don't think that Atlanta have been a tactically have been a tactical quote unquote master class mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea that that Guillermo Barroscoloto isn't necessarily tactically up for it if you had watched his Boca teams, I think is I think is off. Just because Tata Tata did what he did very well. And yes, they had an identity, they had a style, but it wasn't necessarily tactically nuanced. You know, he wasn't laying out perfectly laid details right. for what they were to do at all times. He kind of picked this, found this general style and had incredible players who could play to that. So to me, that job is much more about managing the personalities, managing the city, having the, having the, the, the style within your own personality and being cool. Because we forget, Tata was just freaking cool. You know, he made people want to idolize him from within the city. That He made people want to cheer for him. And those, mm-hmm. to me, are more important than your actual qualities you know, technically coaching on the field. So that's what I would keep in mind. It's not so much about finding the ideal, the ideal soccer coach as finding the right man to take on that, that leadership role. Now, Bobby, this past week, Jake and I got in a, in, into a massive rabbit hole. We had this huge argument over the demographic MLS should target. There was a, a story out in the Atlantic, uh, Atlanta con- uh, Journal Constitution or whatever the proper way of mm-hmm. putting it together is saying that there's been a dip in youth uh, soccer, but sp- as a spectator yep. sport, it- it's very high. Mm-hmm. What what target audience should MLS go after? Is it the his? I mean, I know everybody. Okay. Should, the easy well, answer is to say everything, but there seems to be a disconnect with kids playing soccer. And, you know, not wanting to play it professionally. And then, you know, when you go to some stadiums like Dallas, Colorado, Chicago, they're empty. Right. So I think we're talking about two different things. First, I want to talk about that article in the AGC, uh, ACJ or AJC, who I, I'm a big fan of what they do. And Doug Robertson is, is a great beat writer for Atlanta United. But that article talked about how the pricing was the main reason that players, that youth participation is down. And pricing matters. But the biggest reason is that there's just more to do. And it was weird that it didn't acknowledge that. And the biggest reason that lacrosse numbers have skyrocketed and esports numbers have skyrocketed. You know, it's a little bit like everyone looks at, looks at website numbers and TV ratings and the mm-hmm. fact that they've gone down. Like, they go down because there's a billion things to do in the world now. So the fact that that article didn't, didn't acknowledge that, what I thought was weird. Uh, on to your second question. 
then I, I'm going to ask for clarification. Are you asking who should we market to? Who should MLS market to as fans? Or who should MLS market to as the next generation of MLS players? Well, I think those are two very different questions, but please answer them both right. because I think the, the answers are, are different. But, like, my big example is growing up in Dallas, obviously you playing for FC Dallas. Mm-hmm. I have spoken to market tours around the area and saying, look, Dallas was chosen in the location because at the time when MLS set up, well, you had this affluent area growing, well, let's take families, come to watch the game. And then there was a cultural shift with soccer that you see in places like with LAFC, Seattle, Atlanta, where it's downtown, where it's a lot more of that European style, where it's the young people, it's more of a liberal, it's more, you know, a free flowing expression. And there's this weird, you know, shift. And I don't know, like in places like Dallas, who are you marketing to is a lot different than in places in Atlanta. Right. So this is something we talk about a lot just amongst ourselves. And my thought on this is that your first priority in pretty much anything you do, and this is a Steve Jobs line of thinking, is just make it cool. Just, just build a good product. And one of the big parts of building a good product in sports and specifically in soccer is making the atmosphere fun. And then once you make that atmosphere fun, then everything trickles off that. So I know Dallas, for example, and I was, I was there through this. Do you market to the families? Do you market towards the soccer moms? Do you market toward, toward, toward the suburbanites? But the way you make it cool is you market towards, you know, the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings and the people who are going to drink and make a full experience out of it. Because what happens is, especially because of this actually pretty nice soccer culture we built in our country, which isn't about violence, which isn't about, um, you know, inappropriate words, is that you can make it cool and still have families come. And if you do make it cool, families are more likely to come. So it, it felt like a while exclusive to say, you know, we can either target towards the rowdy 20-somethings or the families. But if you go to Atlanta, if you go to LAFC, it shows that that's not true. And I do believe that MLS experience is a tipping point, right? If once you get over that tipping point of, of crowd size and noise and general enjoyment, then it just keeps rolling downhill. You know, like, you know it maybe in, in the first two weeks, if only 10,000 people had shown up to Atlanta or LAFC, then maybe it wouldn't have hit that tipping point. But once you do, it keeps rolling. And it seems to me that the way you get that tipping point is you market towards uh, the rowdy 20-somethings and 30-somethings, um, uh, specifically the demographics and, and the, the race or the ethnicity or the language. I don't have an answer to. I do think, and I don't think there's something everyone agrees with, we do have to find a better way to, to reach um, Spanish speakers. You know, if we can, you look at the Liga MX TV numbers, everything they put out, they're huge. And how can MLS do a better job of appealing to them so they can go to games and enjoy teams in their own city? How would you guys respond to that? So uh, I guess I'll jump in here, Bobby, because you, you, your answer kind of uh, aligns with what Steven was saying uh, earlier, earlier this week when we were talking about how MLS should go about this. I'm of the opinion that the league should be marketing more towards teenagers, actually. And now I get that teenagers aren't obviously going to go spend their money and buy tickets to uh, – uh, to MLS games, but I think what the league should be focused on is taking these teenagers, making the game popular, make it cool in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And so 10 years from now, when they are 24, 25, 26, whatever years old, they're going mm-hmm. to games more often. And not only are you doing that, uh, but you're also developing viewerships too. And, w- and what is this league kind of lack right now is pe- eyeballs. Eyeballs. But- yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. TV eyeballs. 
so 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 in my eyes, I, I guess I, I would look at it and say, market towards the teenagers, make it cool, make it hip, do whatever you got to do if it's, you know, market some of these players, make it more like the the NBA where it's it's more so about the superstar than the team, and, and go about it in that that direction. Right. Absolutely. So there's different parts of this. And this is why these things are so complicated for decision makers. And I know that if you look at social media, everyone makes it seem like it's really easy. But you're exactly right. You need to build that next generation. But you still have to remember that teenagers don't spend money and they can't get to games. And they actually don't make as rowdy of an experience when you watch the games. So I totally agree with you for social media and for all those reasons. But you still have to do the immediate term. You still have to fill stadiums because we talk about eyeballs. The number one thing that actually matters even more than than quality on the field is the the stadium experience you're watching. So I'm totally with you that we need to hit teenagers and build the social media, build the buzz and the viral sensation that they can offer. And not to mention just future ticket sales, but you still have to fill stadiums now, which to me is about the 20 somethings. Bobby, I just want to say, I agree with you hundred percent with the, uh, Liga MX uh, appointment. I think it was something we talked about actually, uh, in the first segment of our show, I think it's almost, I, I saw the numbers uh, for the uh, the semifinal between I think it was uh, America and Pumas, and I think it was like 1.8 million or something like that. Yep. And yep. it's that was that was higher than any Premier League match that day. Uh, Liga MX pulls so many. I think MLS, you know, should you know try mm-hmm. to, to attract those eyeballs to them. I mean, it's gonna be a little difficult because I mean the Liga MX product is a bit better than the MLS product and has so much history behind it as well, but. I think it's something that we've been that we've it's been lacking, you know, that connecting with the Spanish speaker. Uh, I think it's something they really need to hit hard on, especially you know with Liga MX yeah. kind of taking their foot off the gas in America. Yep. Well, the two thoughts on that is one: is it a better TV product? I mean, it's a slower game. They're, they might be beat MLS teams, and they are better, probably better players and teams. But as a product on television, with the pace that Liga MX has played at, and just the energy level and the intensity. I, I don't know. That's something I think we don't think about often is there's a difference between the quality on the field and the quality of the teams in the league and actually what is a good TV product. Um, and yeah, two, yeah. and it's, also, it's also important to acknowledge, too, that this isn't just a, a soccer problem, right? And in every, in every part of our society, especially now more than ever, Jesus, it's, it's, we're trying to figure out how to integrate our society and not to leave people on the outskirts. So, you know, we care about it because it's in our soccer world. But I think sometimes in our own bubble, we're like, God, American soccer sucks at this. U.S. soccer sucks at this. When in reality, almost every part of our society is asking, every business and every organization is asking the same question, and how can we become more inclusive? No, it's not you... every part of our society, obviously, but, you know, the good guys. <laughs> no, I think you, you raise a very important point there. And I think, you know, just put in, per, put in, per, in perspective, Fox had a 1.56 million viewers and, you know, that was the most watched MLS Cup since 1997. And it peaked around 2 million people. And it's, you know, soccer is slowly growing. But do you still think the European... Do you still think the European leagues, you know, why do they still hold such a stronghold over MLS besides, the you know, the quality gap? A lot of us have absolutely no connection with these clubs. So we do have a little bit... We do have a little bit of a connection, right? So my, for example... Uh, a lot of people just grew up, especially if you weren't in those first 10 teams. I mean, I'm a Phillies fan emotionally because I grew up with them when I watched them when I was three, four, five years old. 
And there were still people who were watching Europe before they were watching MLS. You know, there's still people who have those stronger, especially if your team was winning, you know, you're an Arsenal fan through the early 2000s before you're sitting an MLS team. There actually are strong reasons to have these emotional ties to them. Um, and the second part I do think is that MLS prides itself on parity, and there's a lot of research to show that Americans like parity. But when, to me, when you look at the way t- people watch TV, if you are going to watch soccer on the weekends, you are going, especially if you're an MLS fan, you know, anyone, you're going to watch your own team, and then you're going to watch the best team. And Europe makes that very easy and very clear. I mean, nobody from around the world is watching Swansea versus Stoke, right? Nobody's watching West Ham, probably even versus Tottenham. You know, they're watching the big four, the big five, and it makes it very easy. And then you think to yourself, that's the league. But, like, you're actually not watching the Premier League. You're actually watching those four or five teams. So, and this is my own personal decision. Not many people agree with me, but – MLS needs to do that too. I mean, it's not, you don't actually care about parity. You watch your own team and you're going to watch them no matter what. And then that second game for TV ratings is you actually don't want to watch the fourth and the fifth best teams in the West. You want to watch Atlanta, LAFC. You want to watch those top three or four against anybody else. So I do think that's the other thing we're struggling with is people enjoy watching greatness and we need to at least build that, that concept of greatness within MLS, which goes against the idea of parity. So, Bobby, um, at the beginning of this segment, uh, at the beginning of the segment, at the beginning of the show, we kind of went agenda-free. We went around, had some hot takes. I just want you to get your opinions. Jake's hot take is the U.S. is going to win the Gold Cup in 2019. Do you agree? Yes or no? Quickly. I mean, we have a 50% chance, right? So, <laughs> I don't agree. I think it's like literally a, a coin toss-up on who, whether we win in the final or not. So I do think we are going to re- return, like, our progress to the mean of who we are. But, yeah. I have no idea. Coin flip. Okay, and then uh, my big my big take is actually I kind of had two. Uh, if Liverpool or Chelsea go after Christian Pulisic, is he worth the money? And I think the answer at the moment is still a little bit more no. Just and, and the second point is Chelsea's and Liverpool's talent still trump Dortmund. So I don't know how Pulisic is going to a enter Liverpool's squad, and then you know with Chelsea, everybody says the players especially young players, go there to die. See, this is a conversation where we, we're we talking about a knife fight and it's actually like a machine gun fight, right? Like they're not signing Christian Pulisic just to play him on the field. They care about marketing rights. They care about uh, the Adidas bonus for their jersey sales. They care about TV rights. They care about their summer tour. So to a better value just to make up a player in his name but really they they don't care about soccer or you know only a small percentage about a soccer if that makes sense um and the second part is yeah it'll probably go and sit on the bench which is depressing but and then uh, um, oh yeah no and then armand's take honestly i forgot because it was just poor to begin with it was just no, the FC, it. It was Cincinnati. It was FC Cincinnati. <laughs> FC Cincinnati one. I thought their expansion drafts. I mean, I love the pick of Hassan Nadam. I think that was one of my more favorite picks because it's just a long-term project. But I think overall, I mean, I've seen Roland Lamar play week in and week out. And while he'll score in bunches, he kind of disappears in a lot of matches. And at, at the current salaries, I mean, obviously they can renegotiate. The current salaries – and the production level at the players they picked, I thought they could have done a tad bit better. Um, but, I mean, I also think they did really well in acquiring Victor Yoa. And um, 
you know, splashing a little bit of cash on a player like uh, uh, like a, like a Greg Garza or Watson, even though it's a little too much in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and they might have the tallest center back combination, but maybe the slowest too with Forrest Lasso and uh, Kendall yeah. Watson. Um, I, the way their roster is like co- composing, I, it feels more of uh, Minnesota United-esque than, uh, I guess, I, I, I don't like comparing them, but I guess Atlanta um, in the way their roster is being composed. Yeah. Well, here's my one thought. Did, would, if you had looked at Red Bull's roster last year, would you have thought that they were a playoff team? Or if you had looked at, who's another one, Philadelphia, did you think they would have, or Columbus? You know, I, I just hate when we talk about personnel because soccer's a coach's game. And they're building the pieces, specifically defensively. Like the number one thing, it, you could put Aaron Long and Tim Parker on the San Jose Earthquakes and they make the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's you put a, fair, Matt that's Hedges, a fair point. It's a fair point. You put Matt Hedges or Chad Marshall with anybody, and that team's probably going to make the playoffs. So I think if you do have min- limited resources, there's a bunch of no- like you make a bunch of decisions, but really only two or three of them matter, and the rest are either you know rolling the dice to hope you hit, um, or just filling out your roster. And the two things, the three things that matter to me are: can you defend? Do you have a, somebody that can create chances? And do you have somebody that can finish chances? And you know, if you can do the first one, you're on your way to get making the playoffs. And they've got Watson, they've got Garza, who are both, you know, top five, top eight in their position, probably. So long story short, I'm perfectly okay with what they're doing because it at least gives them the realm that good coaching can get them in the playoffs, which is really what you're trying to do if you're not one of those top four or five clubs at this point. I mean, we see spending like the Galaxy have, but do you think, you know, not that much emphasis on – defenses, uh, you know, especially designated player-esque is kind of like a market inefficiency of sorts? Absolutely. Market inefficiency. Is that too strong a word? So I think outside backs are still the market inefficiency. Mm -hmm. Center people are spending, right? They're just missing. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, What I would say about defending is part of it's talent, but part of it is just also coaching and setting up and putting players in the position to succeed. I mean, the biggest thing I can look at this is just look at the movement of the center midfielders and the midfielders, right? If, if a player, if a center back can pick up his head and play a pass in between your lines, right? That to me is just a catastrophic failure of your coaching. And, and I say this and I try and give people the benefit of the doubt, but that to me is one of like, if your lines aren't proper, if your distances aren't proper, when you're in a set shape, then I don't know what the hell you guys did for six weeks in preseason. It is catastrophic. Uh, and that just happens on a daily, weekly basis, right? The ball goes wide. Look at the outside back the first time, look at him the second time. Is he forcing in? Is he forcing out? It changes every stinking time. So I do think part of it is personnel and a lack of spending. But for what actually like, makes my heart sing or actually like, makes my heart angry this past year is that the, the players are clearly unprepared with instruction from the coaches on how they're going to work as a cohesive unit. Uh, and that, that's the kind of thing that I think we should hold people accountable for. You know, I think like a lot of this personnel stuff is a toss up, but if your team is just not prepared to work as a unit, like that is entirely under your control. And that's the kind of thing that makes me, you know, happy or angry. Bobby, thank you so much for your time today. Always love the conversation and the insight. Uh, please go ahead and tell our listeners where we can find you on Twitter and where we can find you on, you know, just talking about MLS. Uh, yeah, it's BWarshaw14 on Twitter. I don't I don't tweet very often, but uh, and then one thing I would say is if you're looking for a book about soccer this this Christmas for yourself or someone else, 
on Amazon uh, when the dream became reality about what it's like is just kind of an average American professional soccer player trying to make it. Well, Bobby, thank you. We'll be sure to, uh, listeners, be sure to check out that book. And uh, friend of the show, we'll have you on at some point in the future. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks again to Bobby for joining us. Much longer interview than originally had planned. So we're going to cut this next segment quite short. Uh, the it's, future- it's okay. We love Bobby. We love Bobby. Yes. Yeah, fo- yeah, we love Bobby. He's a friend of the show. So Friend of the show. But uh, U.S. soccer going forward, fellas. 2019, you got the Gold Cup. Greg Berhalter will you know, be in charge of a couple of games. I mean – what are the expectations surrounding this team? Jake, you saying it's gold cup or bust and they're going to win it. But Armand, I mean, it's just going to be a couple friendlies, kind of a meaningless tournament with a trophy at the end of it. And yeah, we, we get into the fall and then we start talking about the World Cup qualification. Look, I'm a, I'm a guy who doesn't believe in, you know shooting like for anything short you know we should shoot for the top i think the goal first team should be to win the world cup plain and, and simple i mean look you might say they don't have the personnel they don't have this they don't have that i don't care i believe that the u.s has enough capable soccer players to compete with the top teams across europe specifically and with mexico i mean our u20 team beat mexico in a really intense game and it was a and they were killing it. A lot of our players are going to the Bundesliga to develop there instead of MLS. I think this team's goal within the next four years should be to win the World Cup. It shouldn't That's be to win the Gold a hot Cup. Take. Yeah, it shouldn't be to win the Gold Cup. It shouldn't be just to qualify. It should be to win and compete for a World Cup. Uh, th- this team has plenty of capable players to play. I'll- and our players are developing as well. It's not like they're sitting on the bench. You have Sargent making appearances for Werder Bremen. Um, Pulisic has been playing as much for Dortmund, but he's developing as a player and getting more and more mature. And who knows? This next move could be big for him as a whole. We have McKenney playing week in, week out. We have players, I think, like Richie, well, not Richie Ledesma, but uh, Ledesma from the RSL Academy getting signed by Ajax. You have players just popping up out of nowhere. I think the team has plenty of capable players. It's just a qu- Tyler Adams to Leipzig. It's just a question of can we get piece them all together with, with a winning formula? And if Burhalter gonna be that guy, they should shoot for a World Cup. You can't be shooting. Oh, let's just qualify. That that's just too that's just too light for me. You just, you got to go for it all. I think a nation like the United States should be able to compete for a World Cup. That was the hottest take Armand's ever had. That was an actual hot take. I almost jumped in and said when you said the the goal should be to win the World Cup in 2022. I almost jumped in and said, well, you got. I think it should be to qualify first. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, I mean, but that's a given. That shouldn't be the goal. One yeah, goal but it wasn't a goal. Okay, fine, hey, fine, hey, the hey, goal. It wasn't, it wasn't a given two years ago. No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Paul, let, let's, yeah, take yeah, a moment, step back, Armand. The goal is to win the World Cup, just like it is for Belgium, Switzerland, Italy, Japan, But I don't feel Chile. like that's the goal of, like, people here, at least, don't feel like that's the goal. I think the goal for them is, oh, let's go to the round of 60 and get knocked out. Who who are you talking like, to? Fans? I'm just saying fans, media. There's no no one. There's no long term goal of all. I feel like every team, you know, especially in Europe, is maybe like, hey, we're gonna go win the World Cup. When the USA is in the World Cup, I feel like fans. I'm not really sure about media, but I mean, 
I'll say media too, and I'll include myself into this. We 